We're continuing our study through the Old Testament, and we're up to 1 Samuel chapter 22. Yeah, in 1 Samuel chapter 22, we're still going through this section where David is running from King Saul. So it's a pretty stressful situation in his life as he's having to look over his shoulder all the time. We're going to jump right into the text here. Uh, 1 Samuel 22, verse 1 says, David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went, went down there to him. So David was in the Philistines' territory, remember, in the last chapter, and uh, kind of got himself in trouble there. He ended up having to uh, act like he was a mad guy in order to get rescued there by the Lord. So the Lord got him out of that fix. But now he's moved away from the Philistines' territory, and he's moved closer to his home area where he grew up. So this area is very familiar to him. And since he's on the run from King Saul, you know, and the king had put the word out that he was after David. Uh, David seems to try to get closer to family here as it mentions his father's house. So I'm assuming, you know, he's, he's kind of looking for some support, wants to see some friendly faces. So uh, he does get closer to his home country, his homeland here. And uh, this is where his, his folks are coming to see him. You know, when you think about this, that's kind of what our fellowship at church should be like. As Christians, you know, when, when the rest of the world seems to have turned against us, we should be able to come to church and find peace and, you know, a friendly face with the family of God. And I know that's not like it is at some churches. I know I've heard the stories, you know, and uh, the Lord, he sends people here who are hurting. So I know you guys do this already, but I ask you to continue, you know, just to reach out to those people and try to minister to those that come here. Uh, we each need the love and fellowship that the Lord's blessed us with here. So people need a warm handshake. They might need a, a warm hug, you know, maybe a moment of prayer. So please continue to give that caring touch to each other and those that the Lord sends us here to minister to. And we're told here that David's family gathered to him. You know, it says his brothers and all his father's house uh, went down there with him. And they probably weren't going to just encourage David they were probably fleeing for their lives as well when you think about the situation. If King Saul was coming after David, then it's probably just a matter of time until he went after David's family, maybe try to flush David out, you know, so he could get a hold of him. So David's family, uh, they were going here with the need themselves to probably hide out just for their own safety and for their survival. Uh, verse two says, and everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them, and there were about 400 men with him. So you think about this list, it says, of these guys that started to drift towards David now. We've got people in distress, in debt, and everybody that was discontented. Anybody here fit any of those categories? <laughs> you know, as you read those, we're thinking, that sounds pretty familiar, you know. So these people... They're going through life and they had a, a tough time of things. And the Lord now is bringing them to David. You know, again, David was a guy who accepted folks like that, which is really cool to see. He didn't judge them. He didn't persecute them. You know, he just accepted them. So what a beautiful picture of what the church is supposed to be like. You know, we see here a picture of Jesus too, because remember, Jesus said, come to me, 
all you who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So Jesus calls us to come to him we've been, when we've been going through some really tough times. So don't ever hesitate to come to Jesus. He's always there. So what the Lord has done here uh, basically was make David the captain of this small army. It mentions the number here. There's about 400 men who are with him. And remember that uh, David's already had some very successful military campaigns because he was fighting and, uh, and leading the army of Israel at times. So David is very skilled in leading military troops already. And that's why these guys are, are following David. He's an easy leader to follow because he knows what he's doing here. And you know, for what we know of David at this point, I see him as a, a real force to be reckoned with. You know, in other words, because David was fighting on the side of the Lord, had that going for him, and also the Lord blessed him with the skills to fight and lead other people in the battle, I would think that you would want to be with David and not against him. You know, so Saul and what he's doing here is not really a smart thing at all uh, in trying to come against David and chase him down. And notice here those people it mentions who were coming to be at David's side. Because the Lord gives us some specific titles for these people. Those in distress, he said, was one of them. That means the people were, were being oppressed. They felt like they, they had a lot of pressure on them. And they're probably feeling that way because of all the evil uh, attitude that King Saul you know, had during this time. His anger towards David was overflowing in other directions as well. And we'll see that later on because he starts shouting at everyone around him and uh, accusing them of taking sides against him. So it's, it's kind of interesting, you know, when, when someone has a lot of anger, it usually doesn't just stay right there. It kind of spreads and, and flows around. So the people that were under King Saul, they're feeling this and it's, it's caused some problems in their life. So you, you have this king now who's, lo who's, who's really lost it. He's very unstable and he walks around in this rage all the time. And when you've got an evil ruler over the land, it causes people to feel in distress, as it says here. You know, I can ask you, have you felt any distress over the last eight years or so? <laughs> Think about that, you know. Yeah, so this was the first group of people it mentioned that came over to David's side. And then it mentions another group here. It says those who were in debt. Now, these were folks who were probably living in poverty due to the abuse of power and the taxation that Saul was putting on the people. Now remember the Lord had warned the folks, you know, when you demand a king, this is what your king is gonna be like. He's gonna keep taking and taking and taking from you. So that's exactly what we see here. Here's evidence of that prophetic warning, you know, that uh, this guy is one who takes. He's not gonna really take care of you as much as he is gonna take from you. So this was the warning God gave them, and now they're having to live under this. And you know, when the, when the Lord warns us about things in his word, he is not kidding. <laughs> we would be extremely wise to take all of his words to heart and pay special attention to the warnings that he gives. Because he's serious, you know, when he tells us this will happen if you do this. He's not kidding at all. That's exactly what it means. So the second group of people were those who were in debt. And then it says, everyone who was discontented. You know, and it says that these people that were coming to him uh, felt this way. And we kind of look at our own nation right now, see how far we've drifted away from the Lord. And as Christians, we definitely feel discontented. You know, we're not uh, pleased or, or super thrilled with where our country's at at this point is we've not returned to the Lord. So 
We can appreciate and understand all these things that the Lord describes of these people here. They're being in distress, they're in debt, they're discontented, and we can say, wow, we, we know what that's like. We know what it feels like to be in that situation. Now, what's interesting is to see what the Lord is doing here, because these people are now joining David. They're coming to live with him as they've been through this very difficult time. And these are people, we'll see as, as a, the Old Testament goes on, these are folks that care about their nation, they care about following God, but their land was under the rule of King Saul, who was very unstable, he was a very messed up guy, he was not following the Lord. So this is a man now who's been fighting God as he comes against God's man, David. You know, that's, that's a pretty stiff order there to come against God's man that he declared is gonna be the next king. So what the Lord's doing, he's taking these people who were not probably working together before, they're probably all in their individual situations, and he's now uniting them to come under David. And the Lord's gonna make these guys into a very powerful force. Later on, these guys are called David's mighty and valiant men. So the Lord's doing an amazing thing here as he's bringing these folks together. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm bumping this new microphone here. I have to figure a new way of doing things. <laughs> and although these guys were, were gonna grow larger in number, they were still going to be basically a small group of soldiers, not gonna be some super huge army that the Lord is building here. But you know, the, I kind of see these guys as like the special forces kind of guys, guys you just don't want coming after you because they've been trained by David and David is really tough. You know, So the Lord, the thing is we see, he can take people who've been beaten up by the world, he can bring them together and he can use them for great things. Isn't that, that awesome? You know, I'm so thankful our Lord is like that. You know, he loves to take broken things and then fix them and make them very useful in his hand. And uh, I don't know about you, we should be glad that the Lord is like that. You know, we look in the mirror and say, Lord, thank you that you didn't give up on this broken thing here, you know. We praise you for that. So verse three goes on, and it says, then David went from there to Mizpah of Moab, and he had a reason for going. He said to the king of Moab, please let my father and mother come here with you till I know what God will do for me. So he brought them before the king of Moab, and they dwelt with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. So David's trying to protect his parents at this point. He's gonna put them someplace where he's, he knows they're gonna be safe. And he knows that his parents are older and they don't need to be running all over the country with him and hiding out, you know, because David's on the move trying to save his own life here. So uh, they don't need to have Saul breathing down their neck. So David's gonna find a safe place for him. He takes them to Moab. And, Moab and Israel were not very friendly toward each other at this time. So David knew that King Saul wasn't gonna go to Moab looking for him. And he also knew that the king of Moab wasn't gonna do any favors for King Saul by handing his people over. So it's interesting. The Lord gave David this wisdom to come up with this plan. And the Lord gave David favor in the, in the sight of the king of Moab. So this plan actually worked when David did it. You know, you think about it, the Lord's amazing in how he will lead us if we will just trust him, you know, we'll let him lead. The problem is we usually end up falling back and trusting in our own ways, and that's when we mess up, you know, but man, if the Lord, if we let him lead, it's amazing what he'll do. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, in bringing these people here, David actually had some family ties back to Moab, if you remember. Uh, Ruth was a Moabitess, you know, and she was the one who married Boaz, and 
became uh, part of that. David came from that family line. So he does have relatives in this area. So it does make sense he would go back there and they would show him some respect. So you think about it. Here's David. He's in the middle of running for his own life. And yet he takes time to make sure his mother and father are going to be safe. You know, what a great sign of obedience to the Lord in honoring his father and mother. And it lets us see that David had a big capacity to care for others, not just for himself. Pretty cool. So verse 5 goes on. Now the prophet Gad said to David, so here's a prophet coming on the scene, and he's got a message for David. He said, do not stay in the stronghold. Depart and go to the land of Judah. So David departed, and he went into the forest of Hereth, which is back in the territory of Israel. <clears throat> it's interesting that the Lord sent this prophet to David, and he basically was going to tell him, don't get too comfortable here. I know you're in this stronghold, you're in the area of Moab right now, and, and you feel pretty safe because you know Saul's not coming here. But he was, he was telling him basically, you need to get back to Israel because that's where you're going to be the king of Israel. You're not going to stay here. You know, we can understand if, if David found a place that seemed like a really good hiding spot, you know, that he might be tempted to stay there and just kind of wait it out. You know, figure one of these days, Saul's either going to give up on me or he's going to die somehow, and, and then I can come out of hiding. But the Lord didn't want David on the sideline. He wanted him back in action. And we got we to gotta realize this too about ourselves. We get tempted all the time to just sit comfortably on the sideline. But the Lord needs you back in the game. So if you're resting on the sideline, don't get too comfortable there. You know, the Lord's calling you back into action. We're not to be seated on the sideline in this world. That comes later on when we get to be in the presence of the Lord. Right now, we're to be busy about his work. So verse 6 goes on then. When Saul heard that David and the men who were with him had been discovered, because Saul's got these spies out everywhere trying to find David. Now Saul was staying in Gibeah, tells us where he was at at the time he got this message. He was under a tamarisk tree in Ramah with his spear in hand and all his servants standing about him. So here's King Saul, and it tells us again, with his spear in his hand. <laughs> you know, although this guy is deranged, and he's unstable, we always see him with a spear in his hand. <laughs> That's not a good idea. But he's the king, you know, so nobody can say anything. But wouldn't it make you nervous to be around this guy? Knowing, <laughs> wow, he's got that spear in I saw him throw it at his own son, so I don't really trust the guy. Don't, don't get him mad. Don't look sideways at him, you know. You don't know what he's going to do next here. So verse 7, he's getting the news now where David is at. Verse 7, then Saul said to his servants who stood about him. <laughs> this is interesting because here's these guys who uh, he's going to have. They're, they're basically his bodyguards. They're his top people. They're his cabinet. And uh, what would you say to those guys, okay? They're helping you in leadership. Like what he does here. He says to his servants who stood about him, Hear now, you Benjamites, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds? So these servants that are standing there, like I said, they're the ones who are closest to Saul. They're, they're the guys that are around him all the time. And they're from the tribe of Benjamin, which he declares they're you Benjamites. And that's the tribe that Saul came from. So what's going on here is we find out one thing about Saul. He's favoring his own tribe 
over all the other tribes because these are the guys he's got closest to him, okay? And uh, that's a problem for the rest of the tribes who realize we're not going to get these special favors like his people are because he tells us here's some of the stuff he's done for them. So he's showing them pretty good favor. And, and look what he says. He says, look what I've done for you guys, basically. I've given each one of you fields and vineyards, and that means wealth, in uh, positions of great authority, as I put you over all these troops and stuff. And what he's saying is, David hasn't done any of this stuff for you, but I have, you know. So the implication is, so you need to go find David and kill him for me, okay? But he's letting us in on something here as we think about this situation, okay? He's letting us know what kind of politician he is. He's basically paid these guys off with wealth, you know, and a high position, and is that a sign of a real leader that you have to buy people to follow you? You know, that's what dishonest politicians do. So we still those things we still see that stuff going on today. And the interesting thing is, when David came up to be the next king after Saul, he didn't follow his bad example of doing these things. David wanted people in, in places of leadership who loved Israel and who wanted to serve the Lord. Those seem to be the two major criteria. So those are the people that David put in positions of authority. So which group do you think could be more faithful? The ones that you had to, to buy off, you know, or the ones that who actually love the nation and love the Lord? It just makes sense, you know. In the long run, you want people that are going to be faithful in their heart, not in their pocketbook, right? Because that'll change if you don't give them enough money, they're probably out the door. So that gives us a lesson, you know, we need to really pray the Lord would bless our nation with godly leaders, people who want to follow the Lord, and they're not in it, you know, for anything they're going to get out of it money-wise or anything, they just want to follow the Lord. And man, we pray, Lord, bless our nation again with folks like that. So verse 8 goes on, he's still hollering at his guys here, all of you have conspired against me. How'd you like to be standing there? He's singling out every one of them that you've all conspired against me. There is no one who reveals to me that my son has made a covenant with the son of Jesse. And there is not one of you who is sorry for me or reveals to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as it is this day. So he's making these accusations here. And what do you think of, of this guy at this point? You know, he comes off as delusional and very paranoid. He accuses every one of his guys here. And he says that they're all involved in this conspiracy with his son, Jonathan, and that they're all against him. You know, and you think about it, this was obviously very manipulative on his side to try to get these guys stirred up and wanting to help him find David. Boy, you hate it when you see people have to stoop to manipulation to get things done. And you know, you think about the, the crazy accusations he's making here too. He says that Jonathan has stirred up David against him. There's no evidence of that anywhere other than in Saul's delusional mind here. So these are all lies, and he's actually believing these things. So here's Jonathan. He was trying to protect David's life because he knew David's going to be the next king of Israel. He's on the side of the Lord. I'm on the side of the Lord. I'm going to be on this guy's side. So he's trying to protect him. He's not trying to promote him and say, let's take over dad's kingdom. You never hear those things come out of Jonathan. So he was not stirring up David against King Saul. That wasn't his point at all. And David himself wasn't coming against King Saul, which is 
one of the things he says here, you know, you've, he's with my servant trying to stirring up against me and lying in wait for me. David wasn't doing anything like that. You know, that was a lie too, because David, the only thing we see that he ever did for King Saul was serve him. <laughs> Anytime you see him around King Saul, he's serving him. Yeah, so there, there was no obvious reason or evidence for him to be so upset over this. But you think about this, you know, we need to be on guard too. Our enemy, he tries to introduce lies into our life as well. That's one of the things he tries to do to throw us off. So we need to stay in the word of God and pray for discernment so we can detect these lies when they show up on the radar. Because uh, the enemy's busy and he's gonna keep those things coming. Now Saul here, he also accuses them if you notice, he said, none of you feel sorry for me. <laughs> so he's accusing them of not feeling sorry for him. Like what somebody said, you know, he's playing the victim here. <laughs> that seems to work really well in our society. We see a lot of people wanting to play the victim, you know, poor me and everything. Uh, I like what, uh, what my son told me one time. He said, you know, I heard this somewhere. He says, whenever you have a pity party, the only two people that show up are you and the devil. So that's a, that's a pretty good thought. But here's Saul. He's trying to use this one too. You guys don't feel sorry for me, another tactic of manipulation he's trying to come up with here. Now think about this, what kind of leader are you if you have to use all these underhanded methods here to try to get people to follow you? You know, start throwing accusations around, start promoting what you've done for somebody and everything else to try to get them to say, you know, you're right, we need to actually do something about this. You know, and did you notice here, he always says, my son, and he says the son of Jesse. So he's so filled with hatred, he can't even say their names. <laughs> he doesn't say Jonathan, he doesn't say David. He keeps calling him the son of Jesse. Then at the end of verse eight, after all these accusations, we've got the response of all of these men of Saul. And what do they say? Nothing. <laughs> Can you imagine? They're in this group and they've heard so much crazy stuff. It's like, what do you want us to say? You know. So they, there's no response from them. They know these accusations are false, and they know that Saul is losing it, so they're kind of speechless, it appears, at this point. But unfortunately, there is a guy who's going to speak up, and this leads to some very bad consequences. It's a really uh, sad turn in his story. So verse 9, here Saul's been hollering at his guys. Now it says, then answered Doeg the Edomite. If you remember him, we saw him in the last chapter. It says, he was set over the servants of Saul, and he said, I saw the son of Jesse going to Nob, which is where all the priests were, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. So we're told in the last chapter that this guy, Doeg, he was the chief of the herdsmen who worked for Saul. So he had a, a kind of a high position as far as the servants go at the bottom there, taking care of all the, the animals and stuff. He wasn't in the military side. He was simply on on the uh, caretaker side kind of there. But he was there when David came to the priest. We saw him in that story in the last chapter. Lord mentioned that he was there. So he did see David ask for food and ask for a weapon. So we know this guy had something to do with, with the story there. Uh, then in verse 10, it goes on. He's still telling, trying to tell on David here. And notice what he says. He inquired of the Lord for him. So he says this priest actually inquired of the Lord for David. He gave him provisions and he gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. So Doeg does a very horrible thing here. You've got King Saul who is crazy with jealousy. And <coughs> <coughs> Excuse 
excuse me, he's crazy with jealousy and anger right now. And Doeg feeds him just what he wants to hear. And the problem is that Doeg basically changes the story because he left out some extremely important details. He makes it sound like the priest was conspiring with David against Saul by the way he put it. And that just wasn't true at all. You know, when you tell somebody a story or something that happened and you leave out some of the details, those might be very important details to the story. And you're actually twisting the story when you don't tell everything that had to do with it. And I think Doeg did this intentionally, I believe here. So the priest, he did help David, and that part of it was true. But why did he do it? It was because he was deceived by David. Not that he was saying, David, I'm on your side. I'm against King Saul too. We never see that happen in the story. And remember, the priest knew something was wrong when David showed up himself, you know, and there was no one with him. He even questioned David on that. So Doeg left that part of the story out. And he also left out the part about David lying to the priest, you know, about being on a secret mission. Because David was very clear about that. I'm on a secret mission. I can't tell you about it, you know. And uh, Doeg never mentioned that at all. Doeg also makes it sound like the priest was giving David help before he even asked for it. Because nowhere in here does he say that David came and asked for food and asked for a weapon. He just makes it sound like the priest was already offering this stuff to him. And again, that's, that's all wrong. And I'm sure that's exactly what Saul was hearing, that it is a conspiracy, I was right. This priest even is on the side of, of David here. And when Doeg made that statement, if you notice here, he said the priest inquired of the Lord for David. I don't see that anywhere in the story in chapter 21. We went through that pretty carefully. And you think about it, if he would have done that for David, it sure would have saved David a lot of trouble because <laughs> David would have had to come clean about his deception right then if the Lord said, David, tell him the truth, man. Quit lying to this guy. Tell him what's really going on. And he also might have warned David, don't go to Gath after this. That's not going to be a good deal for you, you know. But he didn't inquire the Lord. So I think that, that part of the story was, was really messed up when he said he did do that because I don't see that at all in there. Now imagine again Saul He's just hearing this twisted story that Doeg told him. And he's naturally going to be outraged at the priest. And he's not going to want to hear any excuses from him. He's already got his mind made up because he's already thinking conspiracy. You know, and I guess we've got to be careful too sometimes when people tell us stuff. If we're already leading that way and they tell us something, we're going to jump on it before we check it out to see is that really the truth? Is that really what happened? But Saul here, he's going to be ready to kill the priest before he even gets there because he sees the priest as part of the conspiracy theory that he's cooked up in his mind and uh, he's believing, like I said, his own lies there. So Doeg really did a dirty deal here just to make himself look better and maybe he's trying to get some kind of future benefits from King Saul. You know, I could see a guy like this down the road saying, hey, uh, remember when I helped you out back there with that priest that was switching sides on you? You probably ought to promote me, you know, get me up a little higher. We see guys like this pop up in scripture from time to time and they're not a nice bunch of guys to hang around with. So verse 11 goes on. He, king Saul has heard the story now. So the king sent to call Ahimelech, the priest, the son of Ahitub, in all his father's house. So bring all the priests that were there, he says, the priests who were in Nob. And they all came to the king. So he sends for all these priests and now they're all brought before him. You know, I don't know what they're thinking on, his, on their mind because they haven't been told anything about it. Uh, they're going to find out in a, in a very short time here. 
But maybe they're thinking, you know, I guess maybe this mission David was on, he's maybe going to question us. Did David tell you anything or something? I mean, what would you think? There's no, no sign of anything being wrong. Uh, verse 12, and here's what Saul said. Hear now, son of Ahitub. So he doesn't call him by name either. <laughs> he answered, here I am, my Lord. So this priest doesn't know why he's been summoned there. So he's going to get hit broadside by these accusations. And it's not going to be good for the poor guy. So verse 13, then Saul said to him, why have you conspired against me? You and the son of Jesse, and that's David's name, he won't say again, and that you have given him bread and a sword and have inquired of God for him, that he should rise against me to lie in wait as it is this day. And I'm sure this, this priest is dumbfounded. You know, as far as he knew, David was on a secret mission for the king. That's what he was told. And now he's being accused of being a traitor, you know, and aiding and abetting the enemy of the king. Wow. You know, those are extremely scary words to hear when you're standing before crazy King Saul and he's probably got his trusty spear in his hand, you know. So those words would have you shaken in your boots as you're hearing him accuse you of something that you had no idea was coming. So verse 14 So Ahimelech answered the king and he said, and who among all your servants is as faithful as David? Who is the king's son-in-law? Of course, that's David, you know, who goes at your bidding and is honorable in your house. So Ahimelech here, he's gonna try to defend himself by using simple reasoning. You would think that would work, you know, but not when you're talking to a guy like Saul here. So Ahimelech says that as far as he knew, as far as he was aware, David's a very faithful servant to the king. That's what he knows about him. That's what he says. He had no reason to believe any differently about David. You know, so he's saying that when David came to him, he would never suspect that David was in any trouble with the king. So as far as he knew, I mean, he questioned David. David said, oh, no, I'm not in trouble. I'm on a secret mission. So, you know, nothing was there. So he was saying that as far as he knows, David's a very good worker for Saul. You know, because he said that David always goes at Saul's bidding. So I said he's so super obedient. You don't want to uh, check him on that one. And he never did anything to dishonor Saul's house. He mentions that here. You know, he's, he's always been honorable in your house. That's what I know about him. And these things were true about David. Isn't that interesting? It's all the truth. That is what David really was like. So it's really bizarre that you'd want to kill a guy like that that is probably the best servant you've got, you know? He's gonna do whatever you direct him to do without question, he's just gonna obey you as long as it's not going against the Lord. And yet, you wanna take him out, kinda crazy. So Ahimelech goes on here to explain that since David was Saul's son-in-law, he mentioned that too, he said, you know, he's, because he's so obedient, why would he think you know, that David was, was not sent by the king when he came to him? Because he kind of mentioned, I'm on this mission, I'm here, so it's kind of like you would put two and two together thinking, okay, Saul, Saul said stop here, get provisions, and, and go on your way, you know? So this poor guy's been really deceived by David here. And, and all this that he's telling the king makes sense, you know? Unless you're the, the, the guy that's overwhelmed with hatred against David, you, you probably think, okay, let me stop and think. And like I mentioned last time, it makes you wonder, if, is, is the Lord trying to get through to King Saul and give him an opportunity here to see the truth? Because this description of David is right on the money. I mean, he is a really good guy. And Saul's just not, not going to hear it. 
And it's sad, you know, you and I can tell the truth to people about Christ and that. Sometimes they just don't want to hear it. And it's like, wow, this is truth we're giving you. Uh, verse 15 goes on. He said, did I then begin to inquire of God for him? So the priest is saying, did I, did I do that? Did I inquire of God for him? He said, far be it from me. He didn't do that. He said, let not the king impute anything to his servant, talking about himself or anything in the house of my father. He said, I didn't do anything like that for him. So I don't know where you got that, but that wasn't it. He says, for your servant knew nothing of all this, little or much. So he right here admits, I did not inquire to the Lord for David. I didn't do that. And I didn't know anything about the problems that David was having with you at this time. So he, he makes it as simple and as plain as he can. You know, he, he's definitely pleading his innocence with all the accusations that were just made against him. But Saul's not going to pay any attention to it. It's so sad here for this guy. Verse 16, and the king said, you shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. It says, then the king said to the guards who stood about him, turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because their hand also is with David, and because they knew when he fled and did not tell it to me. But the servants of the king would not lift their hands to strike the priests of the Lord. As somebody said, the priest of Saul knew he was asking them to do something so crazy in the sight of the Lord that they weren't going to cross that line. It's like, no, no, no. You're not going to get me to bring on the curse of God against me by, by killing God's priest. No, no way. So verse 18, who do you turn to when, when your people weren't going to do that? The king said to Doeg, this wicked guy here, says, you turn and kill the priest. So Doeg the Edomite turned and struck the priest and killed on that day 85 men who wore a linen ephod. So when Saul said, bring all of the priests that are there at Nob, that's how many were there. There were 85 of them who were in service to the Lord and he killed every single one of them. So this guy has no respect for the things of the Lord. He does the evil bidding of the king. You know, and that's why I said in the last chapter, if you remember, this guy was at the tabernacle, which is where he was at when David saw him. And he was doing some kind of religious ritual. I don't think it was for the Lord. It was probably just a requirement for his job. Maybe he was trying to get points with King Saul or something. But you just don't see this guy as a very spiritual guy at all. And this pretty well proves that, you know. So here's this, this Doeg killing 85 priests with his sword one at a time. Well, you talk about a serial killer, you know. I think this guy thoroughly enjoyed what he was doing because he didn't stop there. You look at verse 19. Also Nob, he goes there. He takes the time to go back to the city, the city of the priest. He struck with the edge of the sword both men and women, children and nursing infants, oxen and donkeys and sheep with the edge of the sword. And I think the Lord repeats that phrase with the edge of the sword, you know, just to portray the bloodiness of this guy. He has no respect for anything, but he's only interested in looking good before the king. You know, I see this guy as a serial killer in hiding. He's just waiting for an opportunity to unleash his wicked desires. You know, we don't see that Saul gave him this order to go to this other city, Nob, there and destroy all the people and their animals. So he was just a very wicked character, and this is so sad to see this go on. You think about this too, this is a scary thing when you've got a wicked guy in charge like King Saul. Seems like other wicked people seem to come and, and you know, they're drawn to this and they want to work under him. 
And history's shown us that this is true, you know. It's a shame that there's so many wicked people in the world. And yet the amazing thing is that Jesus died for those people on the cross. You know, God's heart is, he desires none to perish, but that all would come to repentance. And then obviously, not everybody is going to repent and come to Christ. But the Lord loves every person, and he loved to see everyone get a chance to be saved. You know, he made room for all of them at the cross, but they're not all coming, unfortunately. So verse 20, now one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub named Abiathar, he escaped. Somehow this one guy got away and he fled after David. So it tells us where he was going. He was trying to get to David because he knew that David was not like King Saul. He knew David would protect him. So you notice what people saw in David. He was a very accepting person because all those people with problems, they went to David and they were readily accepted. You know, and David was also a protector of the innocent. That's why this man knew he could go to David and be safe. These are beautiful pictures of our Lord because he is an acceptor of hurting people and the downcast. And he's also a protector of those who humbly come to him. Verse 21 says, And Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the Lord's priests. So he acknowledges that the death of all those priests was the responsibility of King Saul. He didn't do it himself, but he gave the order. So Doeg might have done the dirty work for him, but Saul's the one who's held responsible. Verse 22, so David said to Biathar, I knew that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul. And look at these words coming from David's, David's mouth and his heart and these words really hurt in the story. I mentioned last time in chapter 21, there's a very painful thing that was gonna take place because of what David did there. And he says at the end of verse 22, I have caused the death of all the persons of your father's house. Now this shows us the tenderness of David's conscience. You know, he acknowledges his responsibility for all those people dying. But this was the very sad thing I was talking about in that last chapter because David went to that priest and he lied to him and he was deceptive. And his sin caused the death of the priest and all of his family, including all those other priests that are mentioned here. And he knows that because of what I did, what I said in front of this guy, and it wasn't true. And it, it, was, it led to him having a false report. Because of that, David knows I'm responsible for him dying and all of his people with him. So he knew that crazy guy named Doeg was the wicked one that instigated everything, but David's the one that acknowledged his part too. Had he not gone there, and had he not had this deceptive mind, mind when he was going there, things might have turned out different. You know, he might have had a total different thinking where he went in and talked with uh, the priest and said, hey, here's the real deal, here's what's going on. I'm in trouble running from King Saul, I haven't done anything, I need some help. And if he did see Doeg there, he might have went and had a, a quiet talk with the man <laughs> saying, if you utter one word of seeing me here, I'm coming after you. But I think, you know, David at the point, he's talking to the priest, he's so distracted, I don't think he's even thinking about what's going to happen with Doeg and should I do something now to stop the guy from going there. Who knows? But David didn't do anything, you know, and it turns out for really, it'd be a really bad deal. So the thing is, we don't know how disastrous and how far reaching our sins can go. They can affect a whole lot more people than we ever want to consider. You know, if David would have known ahead of time, 80, 85 people are going to die because of this not counting everything else that he hasn't even heard of yet. I'm sure he would have said, I got to do something different. I can't let that happen. 
So I don't think David at this point even heard about the rest of the men, women, and children that were slaughtered until later. And of course, he's going to feel the responsibility for that one too. You know, unfortunately, our sins can do some real damage and the aftermath is so sad. Verse 23, this makes it a very sad picture to be in that uh, verse 22 there. Verse 23, so here's what David says to Abiathar who had escaped and come to David for help. He says, stay with me, do not fear, for he who seeks my life seeks your life, but with me you shall be safe. This is a very comforting thing for David to say. And this is one of those places where you can hear the words of the Lord speaking to you, his child. He knows that we have people who are against us because we are followers of Christ. Jesus said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Jesus also said, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. So when you feel the pressure of the world coming against you, you can turn to this verse right here and just read these words as though the Lord were speaking directly to you because I believe he is. And he is saying, stay with me. Do not fear. For he who seeks my life seeks your life. But with me, you will be safe. Comforting words from the Lord. So this passage ends with a sad picture of how dangerous our sin can be and the problems it can cause in other people's lives, you know, and it's, it's a sobering thought. But it also ends with some very comforting words from the Lord, how much he loves us, he cares for us, and he wants to take care of us, and we just have to trust him. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word of truth. And Lord, I thank you that you reveal things to us that at times hurt when we see the consequence for sin. And Lord, we know we're all sinners, we know we all have a temptation to go in areas we shouldn't go and say things or do things we shouldn't. And yet, Lord, you, you warn us here to be very careful in how we, we fall into those traps that the enemy lays because it can be very costly down the road and cause us a lot of pain in our own life as well as others, Lord. But Lord, I thank you so much for the words of comfort you give us at the end of this chapter, letting us know that we're safe with you. Father, if someone is here today and they were thinking of maybe throwing in the towel, I pray you encourage them and let them know they're safe with you, Lord. They don't have to run. They don't have to do anything that would cause a problem in their life or someone else's. Father, we thank you for the great love you have for us, that you're willing to send your son, Jesus, to die in our place on the cross, that he carried our sins and he paid for them completely. Father, if there's someone here today who doesn't know Christ, I pray you would open their heart, help them to see their need to receive Jesus and bring him safely in the arms of Christ today, Lord. And we want to thank you for that. Father, we thank you for your word today. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.